I'd like to have that passage open in front of you in Isaiah 40, and really it's to look at those verses, verses 3 and 4, and uh, to look as we enter this coming season of Christmas, we have to make sure that we keep the gospel of Jesus Christ central, and to have confidence in the gospel, the power of God unto salvation. And really, it's a wonderful opportunity to look at the way in which this great promise was given of a Redeemer who would come, and the way in which the Lord Jesus fulfills all these amazing prophecies and all that goes around that. And that's certainly what we have here in our text before us in Isaiah 40. And this promised way of deliverance and salvation. And friends, the reality is that in this day and age in which we live, there still remains so much confusion about what the Christian message actually is. And one of the most effective ways, really, that the enemy of souls creates this confusion is to make sure that that false ideas and misunderstandings are multiplied so that people struggle to find their way or to understand or to see what the gospel actually is. But actually, the the Bible is very clear, and the message is very clear. And when we ask, what is Christianity, we need not be confused. You see, the Bible tells us that Christianity isn't something that's been invented. It's not something that's been discovered by human design or thought, nor is it something that we do, as it were. No, the message of the Bible, the gospel, is all about what God himself does what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. How God intervenes in the lives of individuals to save them, to deal with them, to pardon them, and to bless them beyond measure. It is a wonderful, wonderful thing. We deserve nothing from God. We deserve his wrath. We deserve his punishment for our rebellion against him, for the guilt that we have, the sin that is there in our lives, and yet in the gospel, he gives to those who call upon his name endless blessings in and through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the the great declaration. This is what we see throughout Scripture. It is not a message that sort of says to you, well, you know, try out Christianity. See how you get on. Try and take it up. If If you try hard, you might get somewhere. And, you know, maybe just hope that you'll make it someday. No, no, dear friend. This is something that you receive. This gospel, this rescue, this salvation is a gift from God. It is a gift of his grace. And so the question then is, well, well, how does God do this? How does he bring it about? Well, our text here shows us. And we're told how God saves, how he pardons, how he grants forgiveness, how he gives new life how he makes us who are at enmity with him, right with him. And how we can know him and walk with him as we've just sung and experience the blessings of life in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we don't need to be confused about it. It is very clear. And so the passage shows us that all of these great blessings of being saved, of being rescued, of being a a true believer, of being a real Christian come to us in and through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ alone. They come to us in no other way, no other person apart from him. It is Christ and Christ alone. 
And this passage is full of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we must see this night. So I want to ask you a very simple question before we go any further. And the question is this, what do you think of Jesus Christ? What do you think of him? You know, if you're here tonight, do you think that you're a believer? Do you think that you're a Christian? If you do, here is a very simple test, biblical test. Where does Jesus Christ come in? Is he absolutely essential? If Christ was taken away from you, would your whole position collapse or would actually you be okay? Without him, would you know that you were utterly lost? You see, that's the true Christian position. We know that without Christ, we have no hope. You know, at the end, if you want to be accepted with God and you're brought to stand before him, I wonder what you will say. Do you know, there are many responses that you hear people give to that type of question. You know, they try and look to the good things that they've done in their lives and they try and sort of evaluate themselves in comparison with others. Well, you know, I'm I'm not perfect, but then I'm not as bad as this person or that person or that criminal. You know, they they wouldn't necessarily say that they've done everything right, they've made mistakes. But the reality is, if you acknowledge that, you're acknowledging that you're a sinner. So what will God do with your sin? You know, many times I've heard people say, well, you know, God is love, and if he just looks at me and sees that I've tried my best, well, he can just let me off, and he can just, you know, forgive me. And uh, this God of their own forming is a God of second chances, and so he can just sweep it all under the carpet. But the problem in all of those responses, there's no mention of Jesus Christ. You see, many think that somehow they'll just get through in the end. But the Bible says, if you don't have Jesus Christ, you've got nothing. You've got no hope. You see, forgiveness... Peace with God, acceptance with him, new life, new desire, certain hope of heaven. All of these things come to us in and through Jesus Christ alone. It is that simple. There is no salvation apart from Jesus Christ. Acts 4 verse 12. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we, that's all of us here, must be saved. Unless all your trust and hope is centered in Jesus Christ, your belief, your religion, whatever it may be, is not what the Bible teaches. And so let's look at this new and unique way. Look at verse 3, if you will. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. This is how salvation will come. The Lord will come, and without him there's no blessing. And these wonderful verses highlight for us the very heart of the gospel. Here is this great announcement. This is something that is new, something that is unique, something that has been planned and prepared and will come to full realization, something glorious. Now, if you take your Bible in your hand, it won't take you long to realize that there are two parts to it. You've got the Old Testament, you've got the New Testament. And the New Testament declares that something new has been brought into being by Jesus Christ. It's what we would call the new covenant. And the Old Testament foretells the coming of this, the coming of this new covenant. It announces it. And so here, God is moving Isaiah to go and declare to the people that something new is going to happen. 
And so this gospel brings us face to face with something that is unique, that stands alone. It's not just one message among many options. It's not just another philosophy or outlook on life to be set against others. This is something distinct. It is separate. It stands apart. And what we see is this. We have this declaration, prepare the way of the Lord. Something is going to happen. Someone is going to come. And this is the announcement. And, you know, you read through the Old Testament. And all the Old Testament prophets, the men and women of God, and they were remarkable. They were used of God. They were greatly blessed. They themselves would say, and indeed did say, that they are not anywhere near the glory and value of Jesus Christ. He stands alone. And the Old Testament is looking to him, longing for him. Do you know, in this world, there are many competing views of life. There are many so-called great teachers. Some are sort of self-set up, as it were. And throughout history, there have been many who've sort of heralded themselves or been heralded as great thinkers, and they get for themselves many followers. But you know, my conviction, dear friend, And more than my conviction, the truth of Scripture says that Jesus of Nazareth is not just another one of these, not just another great thinker or teacher. He stands apart from all of them. He's unique. Christianity is the declaration that something has happened that is unique. It stands alone and more, it demands our attention. And so this new and unique way is prepared for a unique Savior. This unique Savior, the coming of the Son of God into the world, the incarnation, as we call it, the Son of God coming from the glory, taking on flesh, coming into this world of time to do something specific. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. You know, that declaration focuses on the coming of the Lord. It's such a wonderful term. The Lord, there is no higher, there is no more powerful term than that. It is speaking of God himself. The Lord God Almighty, he is coming and he is coming with purpose and this is to be declared, the way is to be prepared. That's the message. Do you know, if you think back in history in the ancient world, it was the custom of royalty and men of significance and status to announce their intention to visit a certain place. And then you'd have emissaries who would be sent to prepare the way and to make sure that the the paths were all clear and uh, that they were suitable and that they were smooth. And if the road was too rough, it was their responsibility to make sure all obstacles were removed, everything to be set down, so that when royalty came, everything would be in place. And as one explains, if the traveler was someone very special, then they would make a new road for them. A great highway which was even and smooth because it had never been touched by traffic before. A highway was prepared, a new way for the great person to travel. And this is the picture that we have in verse 3. God tells Isaiah to announce that something very special and unique is needed. Why? Because the most incredible person, Someone very special is about to make a journey that had never been taken before. 
This needed a preparation of a new way. God, the eternal God, would be sending his own son out of heaven and down to this earth, and God in the person of the son was coming into time, was coming to this world of time and tears, coming to this world broken by sin. And the message of Christianity is not that all men are, are, are good deep down and, you know, in a process of improving themselves. It's not that there are those who have somehow sort of gone on for us and unlocked some sort of mystical truths about God. No, Christianity is all about the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so Galatians 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. Born of a woman, born under the law, with that purpose to redeem those who are under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Or you think of that most famous of verses, John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And this is it, this is the, the journey, this is the way that's been prepared, and the one who is taking that journey, the one who is coming, is the Son of God. The Son of God stepping down. Almighty God, in the person of the Son, has come into this world. He left the courts of heaven, and he humbled himself, and he came, and he took upon himself human form, was born as a baby in Bethlehem, was given the name Jesus, for he would save his people from their sins. And he is the very one through whom the world and everything in it was made and by the whom the world is sustained. That's why we read together John 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that was made. This is the one who came. John 1.14, the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Friends, we say those words, but is that not astounding that God would step down, staggering that men and women live as though he never came, and yet God has come in the person of his Son. And you know, many don't know it. That's why those of us who know the Lord are called to proclaim it abroad. It's true. God the Son came into the world. This is how salvation came. Not just God looking down from heaven, thinking maybe about trying to do something some vague manner, hoping that all things turn out. That's how some think God to be. It's a nonsense. God came in the person of his Son. He intervened. Why? Because it was the only way that sinners like you and me could be rescued. To know that blessing at his hand. Jesus Christ is central. He is absolutely vital. It is entirely and all bound up in him. You say, so well, if he was coming, why did this way need to be prepared? Well, the way that was promised had to be prepared for the coming of the deliverer. Look at verses three to five. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, the rough places smooth. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Now this new way being prepared, it was essential, but why? Well, a new way being prepared was essential with regards to the actual coming of the Son of God into the world. 
You know, just think about these questions for a minute. How can God bless individuals like you and me? God is absolutely pure and holy. He is altogether righteous. He is totally just. He can never do wrong. He cannot overlook sin. He cannot just allow sin and sort of turn a blind eye to it, ignore it. There is no shadow of changing with him. He is God. All his glorious attributes are totally consistent. Now the holy God has set his perfect standard. He has revealed his holy law and the law must be kept. But how can we do that? Every man and woman may try, but friend, we can never keep it. We're sinful. We are ruined. We can never achieve perfection. God gave the law through Moses. It was defined in detail. The people trialed, but they failed to keep it. And the assessment is given, Romans 3, there is none righteous. No, not one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we say, well, is there anything then that can be done? Well, this immense problem could only be dealt with by God's own plan and design. And something unique, something divine, a divine solution had to be brought about. And that is what has been done. That's the wonderful news. The coming of Jesus Christ into the world. Every valley shall be exalted. Every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. You know, just think on the coming of Jesus, the incarnation in the light of these words. He is the Son of God who comes into this world and he comes as a baby. There is Jesus lying helplessly, as it were, in a mother's arm in the manger of a stable in Bethlehem. Is there more of a weaker scene than that? But who is that baby? Well, it's the Lord, the eternal Son of God. He's the Word, and he became flesh and dwelt amongst us. It's a, it's a staggering thing, the one who brought all things into being, and yet he's found there as a baby. Can you not see the principle of the mountains and the hills being brought low? What does it say in Philippians 2? Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. He who is eternal in all his attributes became low. He even condescended to become a baby. His glory was veiled. He laid aside the brightness of his countenance, all the obvious attributes of God, and took human nature to himself. That's what the gospel announces. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, fully God, fully man. The mountains and hills made low. There was a coming down. He left heaven to condescend to dwell amongst us. But also think of the valley exalted. And again, this is just incredible. When Mary was told that she would bear a son, the angel Gabriel said that she was highly favored. And what else did the messenger say? Well, let me just remind you, Luke 1. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary asks, doesn't she, well, how can this be, since I did not know a man? And the answer is given, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you, 
Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And so Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled in entirety and there was the raising of the valley. Even Elizabeth, Mary's cousin and mother of John the Baptist, would indeed speak to fulfill this passage. And she says, Luke 1, 42, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Mary herself came to realize the wonderful privilege that she had been given to bear the Savior. The coming of Christ, the coming down, and yet the raising up, human nature taken hold of. It's the great theme of Scripture. In Hebrews 2, it reminds those wavering believers that God didn't stretch out his hand to rescue and help angels, but to the seed of Abram and to do what? How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abram, to people like you and me. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people, to raise them up. You see, these things had to happen in order for us to know what it is to be right with God. Friends, you cannot be blessed. You cannot be forgiven. You cannot be saved unless you realize that God sent his son into this world and that to die for the sins of his people, to be the only savior. And he is the new and living way along which the blessings of God come. There is no other way which we can know God or be right with God. And therefore, if tonight we have a form of Christianity which doesn't have Jesus Christ as the center, then we might well have empty religion, but we don't have the truth of Scripture. The only way to know sins forgiven is in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ, God's way of salvation. And it is the only way. And in his life, the Son of God humbled himself constantly, fulfilled the law, lived the perfect life that we could never live. He endured the contradiction of sinners against himself. But above all, we see it in his death upon the cross, how he poured out his life. How he gave his life. He endured all the sneering and the mocking and the jeering as he hung upon that tree, bruised and battered and spat upon, his hands and feet nailed, a crown of thorns rammed upon his brow, all the taunting of men who laughed as the Son of God hung there in the darkness of Calvary. And they said to me, he saved others. Himself he cannot save. Let him come down. But he did not. For he was the Lamb of God who had come to take away the sin of the world. He was the perfect sacrifice who would be the substitute for his people. For all who would trust in him, he came to die that we might live in him. That is why he came. He came down for that, that we might be raised up in him and with him. He rose again and because he lives, the believer will also live forever. The coming down and the raising up. That is the gospel, and there is nothing like it in all the world. It stands alone, salvation and deliverance only through God's Son. Come in the flesh to die on the cross, buried, and yet gloriously risen again, ascended and exalted. And we see it here foretold in Isaiah, 
a new way prepared, essential for the coming of the Son of God. And then as we finish, a new way prepared, essential in order that we be saved. You know, this unique way is essential because it's the only way that we can know forgiveness and peace with God that the Son of God comes into our hearts and lives. You know, John the Baptist was the immediate forerunner of the Son of God. What was his message? Well, in Luke 3, verse 4, we read this. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And you say, well, how was John contributing to that preparation for the coming of the Lord Jesus? What did he preach? Well, Luke 3, 3, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And John said that Messiah was coming, the Redeemer, the Rescuer, the Deliverer. And so if you want to know him, to be delivered by him, then you need to flee from the wrath to come and repent. And you say, well, what did John mean by repentance? Well, we have to recognize the, the power of God's law to condemn and that for all the religion we may have, and the Jews, you know, they had the claiming of Abraham to be their father. They had religion to the extreme. But if we have rebelled against God's law, we face certain judgment and condemnation. And John actually said in Luke 3, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, he says God's law is holy, righteous, and true, and he said to the Jews of the time, for all your confidence in Abraham, that will not save you. All your heritage, all your religion, that won't save you, but Christ will save you if you turn to him, and so you've got to take an axe to the root. And it's the same for us. We're not born Christians. It's not our heritage as such. You know, all confidence and even church going or anything else, it must go. Empty religion must be got rid of. We have to take the axe to the roots and hack it away. You see, this gospel is not just rearranging at surface level. It's something that is done at root. And that's what John's ministry was all about in preparing the way for the Redeemer, who when we come in repentance and faith will save us. And friends, what that means is this. If you've got other things which are sort of competing with Jesus Christ, they need to be set aside. He has to be first. If you just think you can add Jesus onto your life and then live as you want, you're mistaken. That's not what the gospel says. And John preached that Christ would sift and purge and separate the wheat from the, 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 wheat from the chaff and the chaff will be burnt because God sees. And he will make that defining move. And so John says, you've got to repent. That's the gospel. You have to realize that you're a sinner in the sight of a holy God. Nothing you can do can alter that. And you've got to turn away from all the excuses, all trust in other things, other religion, other stuff, whatever it may be. Give up on thinking you possess any goodness. Realize that before God, you are searched you are found wanting, that you are a sinner deserving his judgment and wrath. And if we do not know that, if we don't have that conviction, then we won't see our need of the Savior. Jesus came to save his people from their sins. Matthew 9, 
He said to them, Jesus, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He came for people who know and feel their need. For those who are bankrupt before God, who have nothing in their account, all pride stripped away those who have nothing. This is the way prepared for him to come into your heart. Do you know, if you've come into this place and you think that we're here because we think that we've got something about ourselves or because we see ourselves as morally superior or a bit better, friend, you've got to get rid of all of that. We're here because we know that we are sinners and without Christ, we are desperately lost. But with Christ, there is a wonderful salvation. This is the way prepared. And this new way was essential for his coming and essential before he can come into your life. Before he can save you and transform you and give you that life. Every mountain and hill in your life needs to be laid low. All your pride, all your confidence in other things needs to be laid low. And as the Spirit of God works in you to do that, convicting as you are brought low, you are prepared, he prepares so that you are enabled to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you know that you're a sinner, if you know that you can't save yourself as that mountain of pride and self-sufficiency is taken away, so too has he promised that he will raise you up and you'll know what it is to be cleansed, to be forgiven all your sin dealt with, to be washed in the blood as it were. And he will forgive you and wash you, make you new. He will clothe you with his own righteousness. So that when God looks on you, he won't see all your sin and all the rest, but he will see the perfection of his son and you'll be accepted in Christ forever. The way prepared, the coming of the son of God, the only savior, that's the gospel that though we are weak and helpless, God's own son came into the world to rescue us. He took on our nature. He lived that perfect life. He died on that cruel cross for our sin and he will raise us up if we trust in him. The son of God became the son of man that sinners like you and me might be made the sons of God. And so I ask you tonight, are you a child of God? Are you a real Christian? The only condition is that you see your desperate need of him. All that he is and what he has done to save you and that you turn from all of your sin, all of your rebellion and your reliance upon self and you cast yourself wholly on this Savior. And that you trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. And when you come to him like that, as we considered this morning, he won't cast you away. He'll save you to the uttermost. Do you know this way that's prepared, this this unique way of salvation is so wonderful because it takes those who deserve only condemnation and judgment and gives them life and life everlasting. And all because this one who came went in our place, took the punishment that we deserved so that we could be blessed immeasurably in him. The gospel is really simple. 
and yet it's utterly glorious. Simple because it says this, only God can save you. Only Jesus can save you. It's not about what you do. It's about what he has done. And so, friends, where's your hope this night? As you leave this place, you know, if you were to face eternity, what would be your hope? For those of us here in Christ, we know we have a certain hope because Jesus is the true Savior. He's the Son of God. And this Christmas time, we'll rejoice and sing his praise that he came to do what he said he would do, and he has done it, and our hope is in him. Amen.